0: Happy Friday. I think for many of us, it is a good thing to hear. And probably for some of us, not so much if you're in the middle of your work week, especially those in healthcare.
1: Uh-oh. <laughs> that was no no good. Looks like we may have lost Francis there. And uh, so, yeah, I think what he was about to say is we know in this industry that many people don't get the the traditional three-day weekends that we all, uh, the rest of the world kind of looks forward to. So um, our hearts are with you. And there we are. Francis is back.
0: I, that yeah. was the first that I think I've had that happen so far. I know. Far. Uh, I know. All right, we'll get back on track. But yeah, it's, uh, we thank all those in healthcare who Friday may not be Friday. And that kind of leads us into this topic. We are going to talk with Susan Ryan, the Senior Director of the Greenhouse Project. And for those that don't really know what it is stay with us while susan tells us a little bit more about what they do but also their mission which is really amazing and before we dive in i want to give a big thank you to our supporters thank you to assured partners they are senior living providers of insurance heartland pharmacy a senior living, long-term care pharmacy that really makes sure our older adults are getting their medications when they are living in an assisted living, a nursing home, or somewhere where they might need a little more support. Fading Memories. It's an Alzheimer's podcast that talks about the personal connection and touch that goes into providing care for a loved one living with Alzheimer's. And finally, Routinify. It is an in-home device application set that enables us to check in and communicate a little more easier with our older adults. And as always, Serenity Engage, which is the HIPAA-compliant platform that enables communication between families, residents, and the staff. And with that, I am going to turn it over to Katherine Wells, the gadget girl and the ever famous.
1: That is me. I am a gadget girl. I have to say it is. Um, I'm a girl of the 80s and I actually own a full size upright Miss Pac-Man machine. It was. Ooh. Yeah, it's in my
0: living room. <laughs> There's something new about Kathy. She likes. Uh, yeah,
1: we have little family um, tournaments and we have a little whiteboard mm-hmm. and right now my son is up. So I think I'm gonna have to be working on that. Um, so that, that's a little bit of fun. So really excited to be here today with Susan and to uh, have her tell our audience a little bit more about what the Greenhouse Project is. For those of you who are listening live, please ask your questions. We have the expert right here. This is really fascinating, and while they've been around for a little while, um, I think it's really the industry is, is at a place where um, the greenhouse project and things like this are really coming into their own, and the value is really being proven out over and over, especially in COVID. So welcome, Susan.
2: Thank you. I am excited to be here. And certainly our conversations before we went live, it made me even more excited. So thank you.
1: Excellent. So would you tell our audience a little bit about you, a little bit about your background, and how you got into senior care?
2: Sure. So I am a nurse by training. And uh, when I, although I didn't expect to be a nurse, I actually thought I'd be a teacher. But um, I actually at some point in, in my tenure in college thought, no, I think I want to be a nurse. So I get out of nursing school and I had a pretty pivotal moment where there was a physician in Reading, Pennsylvania, who this was kind of just before, or right as assisted living was starting to come to be. And he said, I think there's something between home and the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm gonna do it in my farmhouse. And so he invited me to be the nurse that would help to oversee it, set it up and get this, we had 10 residents in the farmhouse and um, i worked with an LPN and uh, we had another caregiver, but essentially I was doing some cooking. I was helping to oversee the medical care for the residents that were under my charge. And it really kind of whet my appetite for what could be. And again, it was well before the Sunrise Assisted Living, not well before, but just before Sunrise and and many of the assisted livings came to be. Um, And then it would be a few years later that um, I was encouraged by people in my life to get a real job. And so I became a director of nursing uh, for a nursing home, Um, actually it was in Tennessee. And I had a call to action moment where at that point in time, best practice said you would tie people up to keep them safe, to keep them from falling, that God forbid anybody fell on your shift. And so that's what we did. And I think in my heart, I just knew that was dreadfully wrong. And so I accepted a job to um, it, to keep people out of the nursing home. It was a, a grant funded program partnered with the health department. And my job is I'm a geriatric nurse educator, and we had to create the programs and health screening and everything to keep people safely in their own home. Fast forward, um, after home care, years and years and years of home care, in 2001, I went back into long-term care and it was for this reason. I said, home care is awesome. And I am a huge proponent of home care. So I'd love to talk to you more about that, Francis, at some point. Yeah. But it can be cost prohibitive or socially isolating. And I think even in COVID, I'm even more concerned about what we must do around the social isolation everywhere, no matter what the the setting might be. Mm -hmm. So I went back into long-term care and this time it was with the eye for reform. And I said, if people need to be in nursing homes, we need to make sure they're dignified places. We need to make sure that there's reformation of the field. And by this time I'd heard of Pioneer Network, I'd heard of Eden Alternative, And so I thought there was hope. And so I kind of went forward, heard about greenhouse in 2005. I was with a a CCRC, a large organization. And um, we actually went to Tupelo to see the first greenhouse homes. Those homes opened in 2003, Mm -hmm. four homes that I say forever changed our field. And um, I was there in 2005. We opted not to do greenhouse, but did something like it actually for assisted living. And uh, then in 2008, they were looking for a nurse on the project team, uh, which at that time we were headquartered in Crystal City, Virginia. And so I was their nurse and I came on board in 2008. I've been there in different capacities, different roles since then.
1: I think it's interesting how it's all evolved And so many industries go through big evolutions, right? It's not just senior care, but I think this is the first, I don't know, I'm wrong, but um, it's another evolution of senior care. It's not the first, but we're undergoing a really big evolution right now, partially because of COVID. There was a movement towards it before COVID and it was gathering steam, but I think COVID has really lit the fire under it. And you said one of our favorite words, Susan, which is hope. Yes. We talked about hope and that's really what we want to do is create create and show that there is hope for the way we age in a very different way that can be meaningful and engaging and empowering and purpose-centered.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just phenomenal. What I love though about your story Is that yes you're more trained maybe in that early stage of the traditional route but you recognize and adapted to this model that can change people's lives for the better because of that sense of value that we're giving to me so what i want people to take away from and and please share with this any of our live viewers is what epiphany did you have to kind of shift directions right because susan you could have gone down that traditional director of nursing route but you chose to go this route that I think we we're at such an incredible tipping point, that the work and the hope that you're creating will have lasting impact, not just on the current generation that's aging, but that next and the next. So I salute you for kind of going against the grain, right? Because it, it wasn't easy, you know, when people say, get a real job, right? right. Like, I a real <laughs> job. So I, I just, you know, yeah. your story just kind of gives me chills. Because you recognize and pivoted from that traditional approach, which we need more people that are, are like you, that are essentially mavericks, right, that are challenging the norm.
2: Well, I, yeah. I think you're you're absolutely right. I, I think it's too often the case that we will settle for the status quo or settle for good enough. Well, it's good enough. Or will in the case of long-term care, sometimes uh, nursing homes, I think we play to the star rating system. And um, it becomes more of a, a check. The box instead of really looking at the people and really uh, making our priorities to ensure and we've had a great conversation about purposeful living yes. and what it really means to be purposeful and what it means to live a life that's purposeful and i would say so one of our core values in greenhouse is meaningful life mm-hmm. and when we say that it's so that it's not just focused on my care needs but it's focused on how I can live a life that has meaning and purpose. Yes. So I really resonated with what you had to say.
0: Yes, no, and I think too, from my fear is right now, is we throw this term patient centric out very quickly, right? And what does that mean? What does that really mean? And I think Catherine, you know, we were talking before the show, you said something along the lines of, uh, uh, we put the patient first, right? I think is that kind of what you've heard yeah, about it?
1: But the responses that I get a lot to that yeah. question is that it's it's the patient, it's the whole patient. It's really looking at who that person is and and serving their needs, which I think is very true in the sense of that's the desire and the goal. But when you get down to how actionable that is, it's a lot harder to make that actionable than it is to make um, it actionable to give someone purpose, and right. we do that through all kinds of things: um, by not doing everything for them, by encouraging them to do things, by
0: learning about
1: who they are as an individual, and engaging in conversations or activities that are related to that. So, I think the intent is the same on both, but there's a there's just a deeper level, in my opinion, with purpose, purpose centered, yes. purpose driven.
2: Yeah. And let me me add to that. I think as people, and it doesn't matter what our ages, but we all need to not just receive care or receive, you know, persons that everything we center it on their needs, what they need, and we give to them and they're the recipients. And part of purposeful living is really about creating reciprocity Mm. and the opportunity to give back. And for me, if I don't have that opportunity to give back, and if we don't engender that or create that for those in greenhouse homes or or wherever, then we have robbed them of that ability to give back because that's part of having a purposeful life and purposeful living.
1: Really well said. And I think that's part of why there might, there are more and more of the intergenerational Groups who are trying to get the young kids, the high schoolers, and and the older adults together to share stories and teach each mm-hmm. other things, uh, for that very reason. But you're absolutely right. Uh, I do want to ask the question: um, Can you tell our audience what a greenhouse is? So the greenhouse.
0: That's what yeah. i was going to know. Is kind of what is the layout <laughs> of it? What? Yeah. What is the building itself?
2: Sure. Well. The building itself, and again, that's another core value, it's real home. So real home is, in this case, no more than 10 or 12 living in that real home. And all private rooms with a private bathroom, it's an open concept home. So you walk in and you'll see a hearth area, your living room, your dining room, and it's one long dining room table where everybody has their meals of family style sitting mm-hmm. around the table. And how familiar is that to all of us who grew up and we had our meals around the family table and how important that was to kind of our identity and our opportunity to be in some sort of community. Open concept kitchen, so everything is decentralized, meaning all the cooking is done in the home, which when you think about to go directly to COVID, but in a time of COVID, how important was nutrition and hydration? And, you know, thinking about knowing who that person is, but knowing what that person wants to eat or drink, at what time of day that person would want to eat or drink it. So, you know, it's not just the physical environment, which is hugely important, but it's also kind of, what is the fabric of home? And some of those things, such as having access to food, meals, whenever you want them. You can wake up when you want to wake up and you've got your private room. The other thing that I think is important is access to outside.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And I'll just tell you a real quick story. We were working with the community in Seward, Alaska, and they were going to build all greenhouse homes. They had 40 beds in a traditional style nursing home, double loaded corridors, and they were going to build four cottages. They look kind of like lodges. They were, they've really turned out to be beautiful. And they were going to be overlooking Resurrection Bay. Well, where the nursing home was, it was overlooking Resurrection Bay as well. And so I was talking to an elder in the nursing home and I said, let's get outside. It's such a beautiful day and I can see the bay so beautifully. And he looked at me and he said, I haven't been outside for five years
0: what I said
2: what (laughs) he said nobody has time to take me out and that's when I moved in five years ago and so part of and I think that was the other thing with COVID and the incredible isolation they were quarantined to their rooms and not able to get outside but in a greenhouse home even amid COVID Folks were, elders were able to get out and enjoy the fresh air, to enjoy the sunshine, to even begin gardening and do some things that are purposeful, to kind of use your word.
1: Wow, that's wow. such a powerful story, Susan. I, I wanna ask, I'm thinking these are things that might be going through other people's minds who are listening. Um, so is the Greenhouse Project a design of a home? Is that what it
2: is? It absolutely is. I mean, it looks like a real home. Another quick story, um, St. John's in Rochester, New York. They have two homes that were embedded into a regular neighborhood. I mean, the other homes in the community looked very much like those homes. And their thought was, we need to not have people move to a senior community but stay in the community that they love and let's make it a viable option here. So they've got two homes that are community integrated is what we call it. And true story on the the night before grand opening of these two homes, uh, the CEO was very anxious. It was five o'clock. There were supposed to be beds that were delivered and we had all the guests coming the next day. And he said, I don't know where the, the driver is. About that time, a frustrated driver pulls up he says, I'm looking for a nursing home. Can you tell me where the nursing home is? I've got these beds that I'm supposed to deliver to some nursing oh, home. I said, well, this is it. and But it looks so much like the community yep. the real home that he had no idea that would ever constitute the, the nursing How home.
0: Many, and were they about 10 or 12 in each of those homes as well, too that were in, in the community? Or Two, yeah,
2: so 20, 20 beds total, but okay. 10 in each home.
0: Wow. That is, I love no. that model that's so yeah
2: beautiful. and we do see that a
1: lot we see homes that are retrofitted in existing neighborhoods how is that different from a green uh, the greenhouse project and do these homes are they can they get certified as a greenhouse project or are they built from the ground up that way how does it work
2: yeah they're built from the ground up um i'd say 95% of the time they're there was probably a couple retrofits. um, And what they've determined, there are design elements that are really essential to have, that really takes kind of the best practice of aging design, uh, designing for aging and and so forth. And so in order to really achieve those elements and the trademark, so there are quality standards associated with the greenhouse model. Mm. And so those design elements are critical. And so most of them have been from the ground up. Um, You know, we're looking more at what does it look like to do retrofitting in um, existing nursing homes, Mm -hmm. given the reality of what we've discovered with COVID and the rapid transmission, especially when it's semi-private or three or four person, God forbid, rooms. um, It just makes the transmission of the virus so much more powerful and, and devastating. And in the greenhouse homes, they have done tremendously well in mitigating uh, the virus, stopping the virus.
0: Do you think it's because of the the care or the design or or the whole philosophy in general? It's the whole thing.
2: It it really is. You know, I do think obviously private rooms, private bathrooms, decentralized um, departments. So you've decentralized dietary, so you don't have dietary staff delivering trays or buffets or or whatever it might be. Um, You have decentralized your laundry, so there aren't laundry carts where residents' laundry is going somewhere. So everything is done right there. It's Mm -hmm. a universal or versatile worker concept. So the person that is providing care is also doing the cooking, doing the cleaning. So what that means is Mm -hmm. there are fewer people coming and going. I don't have the cooks coming and going and the care partners coming and going and the laundry people coming and going. It's, you know, you up your staff here, but it's consistent staff. Right. And then one more thing on the purposeful living. When you know who people are, when you have consistent staffing, you have relationships. You have deep knowing relationships. And to me, that is a precursor to purposeful living. Uh, And when you've got those things happening then you're going to live a higher quality of life and we're talking about all the things that build your immune system as well and um and mitigate the the spread of that infection
0: well Kathy, i'm gonna need your help on this one but um we i'm a big believer of the small you know memory cares assisted living in the greenhouse project for the simple reason that i think kathy correct. Try to help me with these numbers, but in in, in any given day in a smaller environment or any given week, I should say, it's about five to six different people that might interact with the resident, right? It's some of the larger ones. What did you uncover? What was that stat? It was a big number of people that could interact. It is.
1: It is, and it's from my own experience. I had to build a spreadsheet of the people that I had to communicate Mm -hmm. with about my parents' care, and it was 30 to 35 people in a given week different care staff coming in different doctors rounding different physical therapists coming in um so it, it was just a it was far more than i ever expected to happen and i am a huge believer in what you just talked about too susan the the building of the trust the building the relationship and um dr stephen covey talks about the concept of the emotional bank account mm-hmm. and I believe the same is true with the family members of the elders living in these homes, that we need to build the relationship and the the trusted relationship between the staff and the family members to help create a purpose-centered, a purposeful living environment for the elders.
2: Families are hugely important and I know We realized through, we recognized through COVID when family visitation stopped, how important those trusting relationships were to engendering quality of life for those that were living in the home, without deprived of their family visits and the creativity that was exhibited by the care partners in greenhouse homes and how trust really enabled some significant meaningful connections between family members and how they were able to kind of pull out their cell phone, a care partner, and say, do you need to talk to your daughter today? And, you know, she'd have it on her phone and be able to kind of make, do a FaceTime and make that connection on the spot. Yeah. As opposed to being, and trust me, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of get that uh, enabling technology to do you know the the Facetimes and the Zooms or whatever it might be, but at the same time you know the customization and the the spontaneous in the moment opportunity, and that happened because of trusting relationships, be able to do that.
1: Yep, because they are existed.
0: Yeah. Right. It comes down to trust though, right? I mean, not only yes. are we, it's this whole care circle that Catherine talks about where the family is like the CEO, right, of this care team. And you have to keep this connection together so that way you don't have a communication breakdown. They're not guessing as to what's happening to their best friend, their mom, their dad, their husband, their right. wife. Right? So we have to make sure that they're getting the information in an effective and simple manner, right? That, they feel good because they don't want to have to go to bed every night worrying about, uh, is mom okay or is dad okay? Right. And I think that's the touch element that I think sometimes is often overlooked. Not only do you want to provide care for the resident, but you need to provide that emotional care for the family.
1: Especially when the family can't, um, it's the only way I can think of to say this, when the family member can no longer trust their loved one's self-report. Right. In other words... Call up dad. How you doing today, dad? Oh, they haven't fed me in days. No one's been to shower, <laughs> shower me. Um, you know, no one's been to see me in weeks, and I know they're all lies because I was there the day before. But my brother in Wisconsin calls and gets that answer, and he doesn't know that, and he's suddenly you know blown a gasket and is going off on the care team when it's not. It's not true. And that's only because there was a lack of, of communication. So I know we're going a little bit long here, but this is such a great topic yeah. and a great conversation.
0: I kind of want to sh- shift a little bit. Where, kind of how's the growth going of the Greenhouse Project? Where, you know, number of homes, like how are you seeing the, the future right now um, shape up or shape out or, sh- yeah, shape.
2: Uh, well, I think, <laughs> I think this is our, our wake up call. It is our call to action. I think that COVID has shown the light, exposed the flaws in the system and the flaws have been there. Um, COVID didn't bring the flaws, COVID just shown the light on the flaws and mm-hmm. it's they're systemic. Yeah. And um, there are really great, wonderful people who are working tirelessly every day in what I call a broken system. So I think this is a moment in time, an opportunity for us all To take a good, long, hard look at what we're doing, how we got here, acknowledge our part, our role. But I think it's time for advocacy. It's time to really advocate for reform. The greenhouse model currently, we have 300 homes across the country in 32 states.
0: Very cool. And
2: yeah, so but not enough. I mean, you know, I I think that it's it's still a, a drop in the bucket of what could be, what should be. Um, when I just see, see and read about the devastation, what is it? Forty-five thousand deaths have occurred in nursing homes and assisted living. I mean, that's that's not good. And um, and you know, most of those are occurring in those communities where you do have a semi-private room. I, there was a somebody that uh, lived in a nursing home, and she was talking to her family members. She said, "You know, we're." on lockdown, I can't get me and my roommate. we can't get out of our room. And I feel like a tidal wave is coming down the hallway. And I don't know when it, it, it's not if it will come and hit me, but when it's going to hit me. And there's nothing I can do to avoid it from coming. I don't know with every caregiver, and many times there are different ones that are coming in and out of my room, are they the ones as they deliver my tray or as the nurse is giving me my medication, are they the ones that is also transmitting the virus unknowingly, asymptomatically, but nevertheless, that's what just happened. And so I think it's time for us to rethink what we've done and what we will do. And to your point, you know, we can't settle for the status quo or good enough. We have to just say, we've got to do better.
1: What's good enough with, when we're talking about people's lives, it's not good enough is not good enough. There's some research that came out about family communication in long-term care during COVID. And only half of families felt like they were getting enough information about their loved one. They got plenty of information about the community, But you know what? Who cares about the community? All they care about is their loved one. Why are half of the family members out there not feeling like they're getting that information? Um, So I I want to kind of bring up a a quote. I was looking for this quote as you were talking because it fits perfectly and it's from Albert Einstein. And it's think differently. Uh, We cannot use we cannot solve problems with the same thinking we use to create them. And I think that's really where we're at. And this is not to say that people have done bad and that everything mm-hmm. is wrong. There are systematic issues and we can do better. And it's time to, to step up and start doing better and keep thinking about how can we level up? How can we level up? How can we keep getting better? It's not a one-time
0: shot. No, not at all. All that's right. A so that was quote. That's a fantastic. Quote. Now,
2: yes, I love that. I love that quote. And I, I've seen it before. But as you said, it, I said, that's a really good one. It you? hit
1: me when you were talking. Yeah. So I'm sure we put it in the show notes, too. So, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to learn about the greenhouse or even family members want to find homes near them, how would they go about doing this?
2: The greenhouseproject.org is our website and there's a tab there find a home and there are lots of other we've um, actually the media has been all over greenhouse given the, the success that they've had during COVID. so lots of media articles to read as well and lots more information about who we are what we do.
0: And, and I think you might be you have a podcast that just came out too. tell us a little bit about that as well.
2: Well, in context of, you know, the, the conversation here, it's called Elevate Elder Care. And similarly, you know, we just felt like this was a point in time that this was our moment to speak up and to speak out and to really kind of talk to different people and You know, to your point, it's not a blame game. I'm not trying to blame anybody. I'm looking for solutions. And I'm looking for for, uh, different perspectives that help us to really see, so how did we get here? What is the problem? And how do you see the road forward? I don't have all the answers, but I do believe collectively Mm -hmm. as we share our insights, our thoughts, and how we see the problem and how we see solutions, I think we'll get somewhere. So I would invite people to listen in.
0: And is that on all the major like platforms like uh, iTunes and the the Google the Apple Google Spotify
2: site? Stitcher? Okay. That's
0: Apple really Spotify hard. Stitcher. Okay, we'll make those yeah. notes as well too. But but check it out. It's a lot of what Catherine and I you know start with the Mavericks is this collective voice to really dive into how we can not only listen to the challenges but also create some action around the challenges
1: through collaboration and bringing happening? everyone together at the same table and. Um, that's, I think, maybe the most important thing we can do is hear from the families and the elders and the and the caregivers and the executive directors and the nurses and everyone sitting at the same table. And um, we'll hear more about that from Francis and I later. But what um, we love what you're doing, Susan. Uh, the greenhouse project is amazing. I I just imagine they have a lot of plants. Are there a lot of plants in the greenhouse project homes?
2: Well, you yes, I mean. So greenhouse, one word grows plants. Greenhouse, two words, grows people. But that having been said, so a lot have um, utilized, uh, they're they're certified as LEED, number one. A lot of them actually Mm. do a lot of gardening um there was one summer i said let's do a blog series how does your garden grow and let's go to the different greenhouse um, homes to see the beautiful gardens that have been grown because elders were living purposeful lives and were able to do the things that were meaningful to them
0: that is yeah that is love it i I can't thank you enough for taking the time i know thank you Uh, What you guys are doing, it's it's definitely a new era with the COVID, but I I truly do believe we are at an amazing tipping point for our our older adults and all of us who are aging, because whether we want to admit or not, we're all aging. And it's really important. I think we start talking and sharing our voice, though, about how we want that to look at, because I don't want you to age because this is the default. I want you to participate and actively age the way you want to. That is what my hope is for everybody.
1: Yeah, let's live life. Let's Let's live live life. life. Live life.
0: And until next Friday, join us where we have a very special guest. So stay tuned for more details about our guest next Friday, September 11th. And Susan, thank you, thank you, thank you.
2: Thank Thank you. you. My pleasure.